Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! That's right, this is Opera Box Score. We are live. In studio on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, we are streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up, and we are available as a podcast on iTunes, wherever you are, however you're listening. Thanks for joining us for America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant... Oliver Camacho and co-host Tobias Wright. 847-866-WNUR, the number in the studio. Call us. You get to sound off live on air on what we're talking about. 847-866-9687. All right, tonight's show, all Wagner, all the time. In our Chalk Talk segment, we talk about what makes Wagner Wagner and why his operas matter. Monday evening quarterback revisits Das Rheingold at Lyric Opera of Chicago and maybe even Frank Martin's Le Vin Herbe at Chicago Opera Theater. In 20 minutes, TKO returns. Jonas Kaufman and Ben Hepner battle it out in Siegfried's aria Wintersturme. At 9.45, you get all your opera headlines in the two-minute drill. Rip City! This show is loaded. Oliver Camacho, what's going on, man? Uh, we have to talk about sports, right? Because that's like been the pattern for the past two episodes. Yeah, so. we can do that because the Chicago Cubs are up two games to nothing currently Ow! as we speak in the NLDS, um, which for those who don't know is the National League Divisional Series. They're playing the San Francisco Giants who have a history of winning the World Series the last couple of years on the even years. Uh, you'll notice it is 2016 and the Cubs are looking to buck that trend. Wow! I went to the game on Friday night. Did you eat sausage? Go I sausage. did. Okay. You get drunk? Uh, I can't speak. Ab- yes. <laughs> it's fine. It was free. I was on a rooftop. Okay. It was cool. Anyway, but you can't see be- from the rooftops. Oh, but you can. Anyway, Baez hits a home run in like the seventh inning, and the place goes bonkers, and then the ball's up in the air. And then I think there was a split second where all 40,000 people were like, oh, no, he didn't actually hit that far enough. And so it got really quiet. And then the ball went over the fence, and the place... Wrigley wow. went ridiculous. Anyway, wow. if the Cubs win the World Series, I don't know. It's, I, 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 that'll be a fun day yeah. to live in Chicago. I think people's heads will explode. <laughs> <laughs> so many people. It's going to be a mass exodus from Chicago. People are going to be like, well, it finally happened. I was just holding out for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's true. Uh, Cubs tied 0 0. Uh, bottom, uh, top second in San Francisco right now. You know, it's it's, it's still the second inning. Uh, just top of the second. Are we going yeah, li- to live blog so. this game? Like, <laughs> give us updates. I want updates. Yeah, maybe we should. Okay. Maybe we it's should. important. Well, anyway, that's the two best pitchers are pitching tonight, so it's going to be great. All right, boys, let's talk opera. Let's do it. Chalk talk on Opera Box Score. Chalk Chalk, it's the meat and potatoes segment of our show, and tonight it's all Wagner. Here's my, here's my question to Tobias and to Oliver, and we're going to get to Monday evening quarterback pretty soon, but I think we need to set up for the listeners a little bit, you know, why is Wagner important? Here's what I want to hear from you two is, you know, what is to you the most important part of who Wagner is and what he wrote, his music, his stories. I'll actually go first. To me, what's so important about Wagner... <laughs> My question for you guys is, how can I answer this How first? can you listen to me talk for a little bit? Uh, it, which is this, which is Wagner, to me, is the first composer that is truly able to unify epic story, music, 
design all these elements of what make opera opera and put all those things together in one place. Mm-hmm. And that place, I mean, he built his own theater in Bayreuth, which is in northern Bavaria. And it has a festival now every year where the biggest, best opera singers for Wagner, the best directors go there. One of these days, yours truly will be there in the audience. And (laughs) that, to me, is why Wagner is so important, because he was able to unify all these different things in a way that no composer had really done before, because maybe composers were were spreading themselves too thin and they were relying on too many other collaborators. Well, you know what? So, George, I agree with you. Um, Wait, wait, wait. Just before you finish agreeing with him, I think you need to say that again. You think that other composers are spreading themselves too thin. Wouldn't you say that Wagner was spreading himself too thin based on what you've just laid out? No, no. What I mean is... No, because look at the product that happened. Well, Wagner was basically doing it all himself. Yeah, he was writing the libretti. Mm -hmm. He was composing the music. He was... There's building a stage, you know, I guess. Building, <laughs> uh, right. But he wasn't stage directing these shows, was he? No, that is that is true. And the stage director at that time, this is the late 19th century, was a relatively recent invention. What I'm saying is Wagner was doing it all himself. So there was no miscommunication. There was no clash of personality. It was all one man. He talks about the Gesamtkunstwerk, this total work of art. He believed that because it was just him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't de Ponte and Mozart, and, well, there was no director really at that time. There were just opera stars who would stage themselves. Well, and I agree. Okay, so here's what I agree with. I do agree that um, he changed, for better or worse, and I think for better, the trajectory of opera and what it would become and how we would expect um, performances to look. And, you know, he was involved in so many different other things philosophically, which we that's neither here. We don't have to talk about that today. Um, but... It wasn't just composition that he did. It was so, so much more. Now, as far as opera goes, I think to say that he's the best composer of all time, and I know you didn't say that, but I think there are people who really believe that or who mm-hmm. think that he was this incredible being. Um, I, I think that if you say that, it, it does kind of discredit what opera was before him. I mean, he didn't invent the art form, you know, and it's like it, there was great opera that happened before him and there was great opera that happened after, but certainly I do think he changed the direction of, of what we know opera as today. Yeah. Oliver yeah. Kamacha, I mean, what's your opinion? Definitely he did things that other composers did, but I think in the Romantic era, everybody was trying to be amazing in some way. And yes, maybe he was you know, he was an extremist, and he became amazing in this particular way in the Gesamtkunstwerk. Yeah. Bless you. But I, I don't... He did not invent opera, you know, and, like, he's not the first person to, you know, really marry words to music in a way that was extremely effective. Mm-hmm. And wasn't just about showcasing vocal technique or something like that. Um, I think that we're going to get this conversation eventually towards singing. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to bring it there right now. Um, Wagner is one of the hardest uh, composers to sing and to sing well. And why? There are very few singers, I think, this these days who do it naturally. Um, and the problem is that the orchestra for Wagner operas. Uh, is gigantic. It's easily twice that of... Mozart. Yeah, or of anything else, you know. Mm -hmm. Three times the size of like a Baroque orchestra, if not more, you know. Maybe there's up to 100 pieces. And every time you add an instrument, uh, you have to sing that much louder, you know, to be heard. And, you know, he's a composer that understood the voice and he knew how to make voices carry, you know, to write a line that would carry over certain orchestrations. But there's just still the sheer volume that you have to produce. 
And I don't think that there's a lot of people who have that sound naturally. And I think there was generations before who were able to produce those sounds more naturally. But nowadays, the people who are, you know, categorized as Wagner singers, more often than not, to me, sound like they're just blowing really hard. <laughs> and, no, really. And that they're not, they're, not, they're not natural. They don't have like that steel in their sound that makes I love that cut. word. I love that word to describe voices. A steel. steely voice, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, let's, Birgit Nielsen <clears> being <throat> one of the prime examples. I mean, that woman, like, the voice had just so much point to it. And uh, it was not, I, I don't think it was necessarily a beautiful sound, but it had so much like edge in the sound that like right. you, you, even in the recordings, you sense that, oh, wow, that voice just really cuts through everything, you know? Yeah. And there are people now these days who I think are natural bel canto singers and natural Mozart singers and are natural Handelian singers, because that's like the technique that we're all being taught right now in the conservatory program. But then the voices who really developed into you know, the Wagnerian singers, we don't really have a way of training those voices right now. Do you think that, that's an interesting point. Do you, is there a way to train a voice? Well, I mean, because you, like I, I have friends that have large voices, but even they were still taught how to sing bel canto first yeah. before they suddenly were like, and time to sing Winterstrumme, which we're going to hear in a little bit, you know? Um, is there a way to teach that earlier if you hear that in a voice, or is it best to let it happen, mature into it? I think do you that, think, I think Wagner I thought think, about that when he wrote it? No, I think that there was just better singing generally back in the era when people can really focus on their singing and live with their teachers and only had one teacher and spent their whole lives studying with them, you know, where people really had that one-on-one -on -one relationship. But I think the problem is that we assume that big voices can't sing bel canto. And maybe your friends are the exception, but I know that people who have naturally large, maybe slow-moving voices, they don't bother to study their Handel or their Rossini. And I do think if you look at the great singers who did this repertoire, like, you know, George Thiel or Birgit Nielsen, you know, she sang plenty of Mozart. You know, she sang plenty of, you know, Verdi that got the voice moving in a bel canto way. And, uh, you know, the voice has to naturally, you know, grow into what it's eventually going to be. And I think people who are dubbed big voices at a young age, uh, they end up getting pushed into repertoire that they're not ready to sing, you know, because people, the, the impresarios are so excited, like, oh, here's, here's the voice, you know. Right. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. We got more singers coming up in our TKO segment. Right now, we're going to turn to Monday Evening Quarterback. Oh, we're done with that. Opera Class. <laughs> Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score. Who made the grade? Here's Monday Evening Quarterback. 847-866-WNUR, the number in the studio, 847-866-9687. Give us a call. Let us know what your favorite aspect of Wagner is. So all three of us, boys, we all saw the um, production of Das Rheingold by Wagner mm -hmm. at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Oliver, you were at the opening night. Yes. And Toby and I had a hot date and went yes. to the second show. <laughs> we had burgers beforehand. We cuddled <laughs> during the show. Yeah, you that's shaved your back that's before. That's I did. You did. <laughs> um, Thank you, Matt Cummings. <laughs> uh, conducted by Sir Andrew Davis, directed by David Pountney. Now, this is interesting. David Pountney, first of all, he went to the same boarding school I went to in England. Take a drink. Take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, he was the intendant, the artistic director of the Bregenz Festival from 2003 to 2014, the Bregenz Festival takes place in this lake on the border between Germany 
and Switzerland. And it is famous for the, it's what's called the floating stage, which is they just build this stage in the middle of this lake and the opera is done on this lake. And so the scale is immense. And man, when I saw the two giants in this production come on stage, Fasolt and Fafner, the first thing I thought of was like, this man conceptualized this show for the Bregenz Festival. And so you're talking about the giants, Fasolt and Fafner. Um, Fafner played by a guy named Tobias, so we're a fan of him. No, 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 Uh, he's talking about... Wait, are you talking about this production? Yeah. This this very production. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that this production is a co-production with Bregenz? It's not. I'm saying that the director who spent over 10 years He's saying it reminded him of the festival. Has that sense of scale when he's designing and directing and conceptualizing. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly, my favorite thing was the scenery in that it was all, it, it never left. It was there. It was what it was. And I loved the movement from uh, the stage. Uh, what, what would we call those? The lifts? Yeah. yeah I, lift. I thought the lifts were used so awesomely to, they don't, the scenery didn't change, but the lifts changed okay. the scenery. We're going to have to re- rely on George here a little bit. To, I know. I to, can't describe it. To give, I guess you to give go. Uh, some terminology. So well, it's basically... The base, let me just say, yeah. just to set it up for people who are not going to see this production, there's this concept of restoration theater and sort of like the play within a play, and we're watching actors, in, in a certain sense, put on the play of Das Rheingold mm-hmm. because all the backstage antics and all of like the machinery is exposed for the audience to see. And uh, the costumes feel a little bit anachronistic. And uh, there are, like, clearly, you know, parts of, like, the Giants, for example, they're not complete. Look, they look, like, partial. They look like props, you know. Mm -hmm. And they had giant inflatable hands. Yeah, like Hulk hands. And at one point, the hand just dropped. And you're like, whoa, how cool is that? And so this sort of framework allows Pountney to stage the Rhine as, like, a big blue piece of fabric. Or when there's blood, it's just sort of red ribbons coming out of people's shirts. Now, when I was in grad school, if you did that, you got an F. And I'm giving him an F for this same (laughs) idea. Man, everyone's seen the blue sheet thing is a river yeah. like 30,000 times. Yeah. Come on, dude. I, I know you myself. can do better. <laughs> I was like exactly. for a show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you're I, giving him an F? I'm giving him an F for that design, yeah. That's fine. Absolutely. That's totally your prerogative. Mm. I disagree. You, and I think we're going to fight in the parking lot after the show. <laughs> but it's totally fine. Um, I thought it was awesome. I love the starkness because it, it, it and I, I shared this with you, George, it is mythology. And they didn't, what did you call it? Restoration theater where we were watching the actors do it? Yeah. Um, I love that uh, that term, and it really was like um, instead of turning into a dragon or a frog, they had an inflatable prop. That, that was so adorable. I <laughs> loved, I loved it. that. That was I so loved dumb. Are you George? That was the stupidest thing I've children. ever seen on stage. You're, oh my that gosh. made me smile so much. I. Are you sure it wasn't gas, Oliver, <laughs> when you smiled? <laughs> no, I, I agree with Oliver. It made me love the production. It made me think that they were saying, hey, we know we're, we know that this isn't real, but come along. Like, join us, because you're going to have fun with this production. Um, I think that, I don't know if you guys saw the other opera that's on this uh, bill for tonight, but I already said this in my review last week. There seems to be some stage director who wants to prove that his singers are dynamic and, you know, athletic and can move, you know. Interesting that you say that, because one of my critiques of Rheingold mm-hmm. was that Eric Owens, who we haven't even spoken of yet, and how crazy is that? He was Votan. For those who don't know, Eric Owens is baritone. He's American baritone. He sings the lyric um, a lot and all over the world, but he was fantastic as Votan. But to talk about that, I thought he was 
oddly immobile. He sat for a lot of the second part of the opera. It was like opera. he'd eaten too much in the cafeteria, man. He was checked well, out. No, the voice was engaged. The staging, he sat a lot. And I was like, huh. It was really strange I think to it me. was the show hierarchy that he doesn't have to expend as much energy to have his, you know. Uh, so you think it was symbolic? Yeah. To say that, like. Yeah, and that the other actor had to do all of the climb. I'm Voton, and he was like, listen here, Wilhelm Schwinghammer. <laughs> you, st- you stand up on your post. <laughs> now, you talk about the sort of the comic relief, Oliver. The singer who played the role of um, Luga mm-hmm. was phenomenal. Yeah. Just brilliant. I mean, actually, Oliver, you said this in your review last week that you what's hadn't his, seen What's his show. name, the tenor's name? Yeah, can Sorry. you give us the tenor's yeah. name? Sorry, I don't have my program. Uh, to, uh, Oliver had said that he'd never seen quite as funny a Rheingold, and I totally Stephen agree. Margita. There Stephen you go. Margita. Mm-hmm. Never, I totally agree with you, Oliver, that this Rheingold really did have a great sense of humor. Yeah, and I think it was it's a light. lot to do with Logan. It was frothy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I I get bored in Wagner operas. I'm just going to put it out there. Totally fine. Uh, because there's no humor in them, you know? And this one was like just just well, funny enough. And <laughs> so as a new production of The Ring, I think that's fantastic because it makes me now excited to see the remaining three. I'm so desperate to see the next one. Yeah, yeah because it didn't... Honestly, if it had been so realistic, I, I would have felt like it, I was just dre- like trudging like through mud like through 18 hours of opera that's going to come in the next three years that I wouldn't be really excited All right, for. Listen, here's a tip as a director. Nobody remembers anything of the show but the first and the last image. I don't know. I remember a dragon and a frog. Okay. <laughs> Me too. And I remember giant inflatable yeah. hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what even... was what was the last image of the show? Rainbow colored it bungee was, cords. It was rainbow That's colored. That's pretty lame. No, 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 no. The last I love image, you, wait, a George. wait a second. I love you, wait George. One second. The last image of the show was Lyric Opera of Chicago as Valhalla. That's, oh yeah. That's it, equally it re- lame. It was it yeah. was Lyric as Valhalla though. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people Why? realize. Because um, the they use the fire curtain as the uh, as Valhalla. I didn't say how. I said why. <laughs> oh, why? Oh, okay. okay. Um, you're, but you're I loved the concept of the of the yeah. rainbow bungee cords. Yeah. I, again, it just went with the whole like, our giants are big guys with inflatable hands. It's and like I, you've never left your apartment, Tobias. Have you? I've never, never <laughs> seen a show that that made me happy it felt, like it this. felt like college students trying to put on. The ring cycle, but Thank in a you. very high quality. <laughs> but it way, was so. exactly it was yeah. the best singing yeah. of any show I've seen at the lyric top to bottom. Yep, I agree with you. And props to um Laura Wildey as Freya. Yeah. She stole the show. No question. She was so good. A plus, absolutely. Uh we gotta step aside for a second, boys. We're gonna come by right back. We're gonna TKO makes its triumphant return yes. right after this. Opera box score. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Do you or someone you know have epilepsy and need help finding or keeping work? The Epilepsy Foundation of Greater Chicago can help. The foundation offers free vocational counseling, job-seeking skills, training, assistance in finding job leads, and follow-up support. For more information, call 312-939-8622 or go to www.efncil.org on the web. Will you always be living paycheck to paycheck? 
Not if the National Endowment for Financial Education can help it. Log on to www.smartaboutmoney.org today to take the first step towards improving your financial well-being and discover new ways to make your money work for you. Are you having problems with debt, managing your finances, or saving for retirement? Help is here and it's closer than you think. Visit smartaboutmoney.org to find answers to your financial concerns. Brought to you as a public service by the National Endowment for Financial Education and WNUR. Ever hear someone say, there are plenty of fish in the sea? There aren't. It's no joke. Many fish are declining in number and you can make a difference. The folks at Environmental Defense have advice on how to choose fish that are plentiful or caught in an environmentally friendly way, which can help keep our oceans healthy and full of fish. Just visit getgreen.com and you'll also find other easy tips on how you can help protect our world. That's getgreen.com. TKO on the OBS. Opera Box score George Cedarquist here with Oliver Camacho. Cubs, uh, Cubs up three zip on San Francisco. Ooh. Wait, that second. I know. I'm, that's my fake excitement. <laughs> it was good. I believed you. <laughs> uh, TKO makes its triumphant return. It's when we take two singers singing the same aria. We compare and contrast, and we pick a winner because America loves winners. Okay, so we're going to be listening to Vinta Schirma, um, and this is Zygmunt's love song, and it's from Die Valkyrie. And the two ten, we're going to listen to two tenors. That's correct. Yes, we're going to be listening to. And, and as a tenor, I love both of these guys. Uh, we're listening to Jonas Kaufmann and Ben Hepner. Um, and I think I'll let Oliver introduce a little bit more. But And we will start by listening to uh, a concert version of Ben Hepner in 2003 from Puerto Rico. Uh, ben Hepner, born in 1966. And we'll follow that up with a 2010 uh, concert uh, of Jonas Kaufmann from Munich. Uh, born in 1969, would have made him 41 years old. So they're approximately the same age. Uh, ben Hepner's got a couple years on Kaufman. Ready? Here we go. We're going to start with yeah, with the first. Uh, this uh, this aria breaks down really neatly into thirds. Uh, the first third is all about language and about diction. What's the first third about? About sp- <laughs> <laughs> it's about spring. And tell remind me who's singing again. Yeah, who's singing first? First, first one is Ben Hepner. Okay, so all this right. is uh, my guy. Oh, okay. You're going with Ben. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Winterstürme wichen dem Wonnemond In mildem Lichte leuchtet der Lenz Auf Linden lüften leicht und lieblich Wunderweben, der sich Der Lärm. 
Ja. Ja, jawohl. Ja. I mean, I'll, I'll go first because yeah. Ben Hebner was singing first. I mean, for a Canadian, that German is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's like not it. a backhanded compliment. I'm, you can really understand every word. Well, I'm sure song. he speaks German um, yeah, more than I mean, fluently, that's... but like. If we're going to talk about German, George, I'm so sorry. I got Jonas. I know your guy's German, but what I'm saying is it's more impressive that a Canadian can have that sort of German diction than a German can have that German diction. I see what diction. you're saying, and I'm just going to say, because Ben Heppner's a pro, that is a baseline expectation. Um, so it should be good. If it weren't good, I would disqualify you, him, and then I'd beat you up again in the parking lot. Oh, man. <laughs> I love you. I'm not going to beat you up. Also, happy birthday last week. So, Oliver, do you, do you want to raise well, a, I, a well, hand here? Or wait, do you can, I, wait? can I give my side? Yeah, please do. So I thought that was your side. No, that was me I critiquing. thought you just tearing me down was like a Oh, way of, no. That's oh. just a Donald Trump thing. Oh. You just tear someone else down, and that's how you build yourself up. My privilege. Go on. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I told you I don't talk about political things. What's your point, Tony? Okay, my point is that what I love about Jonas Kaufmann's voice is that because it's so large, when you hear him sing this, and so for those who don't know the the voice very well, he's singing below his passaggio right now, meaning he's kind of just singing where it's easy. And what I love about him is that he has such a full, rich sound and color that when he bursts out above the passaggio, it's incredible. It is the most thrilling sound because it sounds like he's got a really low, deep voice. And then we'll hear later on when he starts to get higher. And so it makes you as a listener get sucked into the color that he's painting with first. And so I love him. Those are some big words, Tobias. There especially, were t- especially lots for of you. tiny words. Well, I'll just say that. That um, I have tiny hands, just the, like Trump. The, the reason why I, I chose these two singers is because I, there's a clearly different approach. Like Ben Hepner is going for line, mm-hmm. and he's just got a big old voice, and he just wants to show you right away. And Jonas Kaufman, I actually think it's not that big of a voice. It's actually a very, it's a beautiful color burnished voice. I but, agree, but it's not a huge voice. No. And uh, Kaufman is playing to his strength, which is color. And he is using the language. He's almost singing it like a lead. And there's like so much almost yes. off the boy, off the voice singing. But clearly, it's enough to carry over the orchestra being alive. So I I prefer the more nuanced, subtle version because there's plenty of other times in this scene for there to be loud singing, mm-hmm. especially like with the sword and stuff like that. So anyway, but I'm giving that round to Kaufman for Grace. Uh, and Ben Hefner sang it gorgeously, mm-hmm. but it was sort of like samey samey the whole time. So. Samey, samey. Samey, samey. Okay, so the second uh, part of this aria gets into the little incesty moment, and um, Wagner switches from this kind of chatty one note per syllable to more whole note phrases. So the phrases are about the same length, but somehow 
singing one vowel on a note uh, for you know a measure at a time uh, is harder on the voice. You really have to tank up. Uh, sometimes like mm. language gives you a chance to like cheat a little bit. The, Absolutely. The Absolutely. But when you have these whole notes, you really have to measure the breath well. So let's start with Hepner. All right, here we go. So, Tobias, you should talk first. Sure. Because I think Jonas Kaufman was singing yeah. first there. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. So, one of the things, Oliver, that you mentioned that for whatever reason I started to listen to was the continuation of a vowel mm-hmm. through a long note. And I just, I mean, I, I, it's a hard thing to do because as a singer, you're already prepping a breath for an entire phrase. And then, like you said, a lot of times Italian will let you change vowels quickly, even French a lot. And with German, the way this particular section is written, uh, there's so many times he says shang and he has to hold uh, an ah vowel for a cross measure and and it's hard to do anyway so you listen to to Jonas do that and I and I think that um has a thing of beauty because he speaks it naturally so he doesn't have to think about modifying a vowel he's just thinking I'm saying the word and it's going to come out and so it doesn't get interrupted at all and then when he sings um the high note which actually for the for the tenors in the world that are with us um the high note was only a g yeah, but it made it sound thrilling to me, and it was such a beautifully closed vowel. I nerd out with tenor stuff, so I hear that and I get my nipples do. get hard, and yeah. I get really excited, and it's fun. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. We're in our TKO segment, comparing and contrasting Jonas Kaufman and Ben Hepner. Well, in that second clip, Ben Hepner, to me, you're really starting to hear like the power of that voice. There's a bit of a wobble in the voice. I'm gonna, I'm going to admit that, you know, but it seems to me it's like. That is where that real power is coming through, which is what Oliver you talked about from the first clip. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually did not make a decision about this uh, before I gave you guys these clips. I'm really contemplating this, and I have to say that Kaufman, as much as I love him, he comes in and out too much. It's like I feel like he's teasing the audience with what his voice can do, and then you get that one note above the passaggio, which is gorgeous. Like, why don't you just sing that, that way all know? the time? Yeah, and not that it should be the same power all the time but i want to know that you can do this like really you know i want to i want to hear your singing and like i saw this production the video that exists and he's amazing 
in the show. He's thrilling and he's so gorgeous in the show. But in this moment, but this just says Aria. It's like it's the only really Aria in the whole opera, you know. Like I want to I want to hear you sing, man. Mm-hmm. Just sing. And Ben Hefner is so committed to the line. And yes, the wobble is beginning to creep in, but it sounds like he is part of the horn section, or he's like, you know, he's really on the breath the entire time. And that takes work. I mean, that really, yeah. really is athletic. So just for, you know, the heroism of it, I would give this round to Ben Hefner. All right, we're tied. This is this is going down to the right, wire. So okay. we are tied. What's the Cubs score? Are so, they tied? No, three zip. All right, still okay. three zip. So here is the... <laughs> I, w- I can't swear. Um, this was really jerky of Wagner <laughs> to do this. Like he doesn't give the tenor a chance to really go above the passaggio, <laughs> and he makes the climax essentially on an F natural and on a G, which is yeah, that's fine. You can you can climax on those notes, but it's not where your voice really wants to bloom. You mm-hmm. know, as those notes that you want to control because they're in the passaggio, and uh, yeah, he makes the tenor really you know um, reach the climax in these notes, which are very very difficult. And so it can be a very ungratifying artist sing if you don't have the power in the passaggio. Uh, let us hear uh, these last two climaxes. We'll start with Ben Hefner. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Ultimately, oh, sorry. Oh, George, we're so happy for you. <laughs> I d- didn't want to step on Jonas's applause there. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you know, singing Wagner, it, it all comes down to power. I mean, there are 80 instrumentalists in the orchestra pit sawing away, blowing away, pounding away underneath you. And it comes down to power. And like you can really hear it in Ben Hefner's voice. I just don't hear that in that particular Jonas Kaufman recording. I, for the record, I thought Hefner sounded, I think that's incredible, the way he handles a passaggio. And he makes his a little bit brighter. And so you know that he's fo- he's worked enough to know that I have to make it bright for it to go through right here. And he does that. I love Jonas Kaufman for what he did here. So he sings an A flat and then jumps up to an F. And then he holds the F for two and a half measures, two long full measures on Eint. It's, the word is for Eint. Yeah. And he, it was like for him, you could, it, you could hear it happen. It's like when you practice shooting a free throw or putting. 
you do the same thing repeatedly. You do the same thing repeatedly. And so when you go to have to do it to perform, it just kind of happens. And you could, you, I swear, you could just hear him say, <clears throat> breath. But I, and it was like shooting a free throw. He already knew exactly how he was going to cover it. He knew he wasn't going to sing a pure vowel. And he knew it was going to have a dark sound. And he doesn't. And he's able to do it. Uh. Uh. Yeah. I, I, I drop. Okay. So he is really skillful. And he knows his voice very well. I would have liked Verein to open, and I think that Ben Hepner... I think a lot of people would. Yeah, for, and Ben Hepner sings it open, and as a result, it sounds bright to us, and it feels like this is the end of the aria. But the way Kaufman sings it, because he, has, he starts it so dark, and he doesn't really open up the vowel until near the end of that note, um, it doesn't, it's not quite as satisfying. It and doesn't quench your thirst yeah. as much. So before you give your final uh, decision, can we go to a break? And have a little suspense? Or is it too obvious at this point? Let's have some suspense. (laughs) All right. Stick around on Opera Box Score. We'll be right back. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. programming. The Chicago Food Depository is a not-for-profit food distribution center working to feed hungry people in the Chicagoland area. As one of the largest food banks in the country, the Food Depository helps feed as many 300,000 hungry men, women, and children in Cook County. The Food Depository distributes purchased and donated food from individuals, organizations, farmers, and restaurants to more than 585 Chicago soup kitchens, homes for the disabled, subsidized daycare programs, and shelters. To learn more about how to help feed the hungry in Chicago, call 773-247-FOOD or read more on the web at chicagosfoodbank.org. This message brought to you by WNUR 89.3 FM. Every year, one million families face losing their homes to foreclosure. If you've fallen behind on your mortgage, we can help. Call 1-88-995-HOPE for real help and guidance. Because nothing is worse than doing nothing. Brought to you by NeighborWorks and the Ad Council. Ever wish your car would get better gas mileage now that you've seen what you're paying at the pump? You'd be saving money, and your car would be putting out less fuel exhaust that pollutes the air. The folks at Environmental Defense suggest the next time you're in the market for a car, Choose one with the highest fuel economy that meets your needs and fits your budget. By doing that, you'll help reduce pollution and our country's dependence on oil. Find out more at getgreen.com. That's getgreen.com. This message is brought to you by our friends at the Ad Council and Environmental Defense. TKO on the OBS. Welcome back to Opera Box Score. The last couple of weeks, the show's been in like four quarters, and this week we're doing three periods. It's kind of hockey style, I guess. Mm. We're in the middle of TKO, which is also in three. Uh, let's see here. Jonas Kaufman won the first round. Ben Hepner, my guy, won the second round. Oliver is about to decide the third and final round. Well, I would almost call this a draw because I'm all about artistic. I'm all about expression. And I think that Jonas Kaufman is clearly the more expressive singer and after having seen the entire uh, performance of Siegmund, um, I think he's amazing. He's one of the best Siegmunds on stage right now. 
But as far as just these three and a half minutes of Interstorma, Ben Hefner sings it and probably has been singing it for years and years and years. And it shows he really can just plug in and like let rip. And it's a difficult aria that has no gratifying moment for the tenor, but yeah. he does it so well. So you that was all that was like the longest qualifying answer that yeah. I've heard since last night <laughs> when a, I watched the debate. It was a no decision. <laughs> Hillary Clinton, tell us what you like about Donald Trump. <laughs> ISIS, <Yeah>. ISIS, ISIS, <laughs> ISIS, ISIS. That was oh, yeah. insane. And grab her by that the pee, you know? <laughs> Very nice to, to get TKO back. Oh, Thank that was you, awesome. Oliver Camacho. Oh. Let's do the two minute drill. Here we go. This just in the two minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know in two minutes or less. Peter Allen, who introduced more than 500 performances for the Metropolitan Opera's Saturday afternoon radio broadcasts, died on Saturday at his home in Manhattan. He was 96. Mr. Allen presided over 29 seasons of broadcast and said that delivering the opera world's equivalent of color and play-by-play has been, quote, the richest experience of my life. Anne Pashley, the British soprano who sang at Glyndebourne in Covent Garden, has died of cancer at aged 80. But before she took up singing, she won a silver medal in the 4x100 relay in the 1956 Melbourne Olympics. The new production of Lerner and Lowe's My Fair Lady, directed by the original Liza Doolittle, Julie Andrews, opened early in September. And the production has blown the roof off the City Opera House box office, selling more tickets than any other show in the building's history, according to the Sydney Morning Herald. Last week, the Greek baritone Aris Argyris sang back-to-back performances of Rossini's The Barber of Seville at the Semper Opera in Dresden. So that's eight hours of performance from noon to 10 p.m. with a mid-afternoon break. I assume he was singing the role of Figaro. Finally, Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel attended Lyric Opera of Chicago's season opening night a few weeks ago. Emanuel initially disputed the Chicago Tribune's contention that though he has often been seen at theaters all over town since becoming mayor, he's been a reluctant opera goer. No, I've been to the opera. I go to the opera. That's a quote. He protested, but then pressed on which opera he'd last seen. He conceded, well, that's a real Jeopardy question. He'll have to ask my wife. She's the expert. And that's the two-minute drill. So kind of a strange little potpourri, I suppose, this week of, of two-minute stuff. Oliver, would, would you like to go first and talk yeah, about I one just, of those? I mean, I, I was the one that wanted to include um, Peter Allen because I've been listening to the Met broadcast since I was, like, whatever, 15 years old. In, in, in utero, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, like, the when I became really entrenched in operas, when Margaret Druntwaite had taken over. But I remember Peter Allen and just reading about this guy and, like, thinking that, you know, he had to... I don't know if he wrote his own, if he produced his own scripts, you know? Hmm. But... You know, introduce Carmen how many times in his life or introduce Magic Flute how many times in his life and talk about it in a way that somebody tuning in to the Metropolitan broadcast would get the story of the opera for the first time if they'd never heard it, but also say something smart enough to show the conoscenti that like, hey, you know, like we're in the, I, I know all about this opera. Let me say something interesting for you too. And how to write that every day. I mean, like we're trying to do that on this show, like not dumb it down for people who care about opera, know about these things, but yet still invite, you know, people to listen for the first time. It's a really fine line to walk. It's really hard. I'll yeah. tell you that right yeah. now. <laughs> just doing this show, it's really yeah. hard. I imagine he did contribute to his own scripts. Oh, I'm sure he did. He had to vamp one time. There was like a guy who commits suicide oh, in, in a production of Macbeth. 
And they eventually canceled the show, but he vamped for an hour while they figured out what they're going to do. What? That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Well, and you think, too, and you just touched on this, but um, what caught me with that is to think what we try to do with our show on Opera Box Score is reach people and not only reach them. First, we want to get your ear holes filled mm. and then we want to and then we want your you to catch fire with that and want to fall in love with opera and choose to explore opera. And I, I mean, that's what Peter Allen did was he, to so many people, if you think about that over 29 years, how many hundreds of thousands of people heard him talk about opera in a way that was fair and loving and exciting. And I Mm -hmm. think that's incredible. And that's a tremendous legacy. 29 seasons. Uh, There's very few radio announcers in sports that would do that many. Well, Vince Scully. Vince Scully, what, he just yes. 62 years or yeah, something like yeah. that, and he just retired too. Dick Enberg probably didn't do 29, though. Um, Max Falkenstein, who was the radio announcer at the University of Kansas, mm-hmm. he did 60 years before he retired, and he still goes to every game. Bob Costas hasn't certainly done that many. And the famous, who was the famous college announcer um, who retired some years ago? Oh, God, I can't remember his name. That's pathetic. Uh, he always did I the can, Rose Bowl. Keith Jackson. Thank you very much. <laughs> nice. Was that really his name? Yeah, that's really, really his yeah, name. No, really nice. is Keith Jackson. Nebraska Cornhusker fan. I can't even do it. But like he used to have this no, video of Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. Over no, the it's... beautiful setting of the Arroyo Seco in the Rose Bowl of Pasadena. <laughs> what about Lerner and Lowe's My Fair Lady? Okay, first of all, I just saw a photo of Julie Andrews. She looks amazing. Really? For however old she is. She looks just great. I want you to replace my headshot on the website with her headshot. Never. Darn it. It was worth a shot. But I'm surprised that this production is selling more tickets than anything else in history. I mean, this is the Sydney Opera House. Surely there must be an opera that has sold more tickets than this. I mean, it is crazy to think um, that here we are, a major opera house is doing a musical, and suddenly, wham, they money drives the vehicle. We all know that. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's a trend... I'm okay with, like, you know, the Lyric Opera is doing My Fair Lady later on this season, you know, and last year they did The King and I before that Carousel, Oklahoma. I mean, they've been doing this. It's a great series. It gets a ton of people to come. It's an okay trend, I think, to do one show a year as long as your main focus is truly the preservation and advancement of the art form that is opera. Um so I think I, I just hope it doesn't grow too much to where opera houses become musical homes, which I love musicals and I love music theater, but I also really, really want it to be an opera house. So it's scary to see that opera houses are doing this and making so much money. And it's, it's to the point where you think, oh, well, now they're one show a year out of eight becomes two and two becomes half and half I becomes, mean, I, oh, we're no longer light opera works and we'll met where a music theater works. And I understand why Sorry, Julie Andrews is directing over. the show is because Julie Andrews was the original Eliza Doolittle. I, that sort of thing freaks me out as a director. I, you know, when you're so much a part of it from the very beginning in the, in the show and then you switch and you become the director. I just, I don't like that. I just don't like that sort of, you're so in the thing from the very beginning. Well, that's like saying that a great athlete can't become a, a great coach. Uh, okay, that's a fair point. And I think that I don't, I, I agree with you. Not all of them can. Derek Fisher being a great example. Um, but like, 
it's possible to have that knowledge and then be able to convey in a way that you're not micromanaging. It's about the conveying, though. It is a very different skill set to play versus to coach, to sing versus to direct. 100%. Because when you're singing, you're not having to motivate the rest of the cast to do their jobs correctly. You're just more concerned about doing your job correctly. That's all you're really doing as a director is you're trying to get the best work out of everybody and Mm -hmm. make sure you're all in the same story. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, what about Rom the Bomb here and his little faux pas at uh, Chicago, uh, the Lyric Opera of Chicago opening? You were there, Oliver, that night. You I saw was. Him. I didn't, Did you see I, him? Was I, it you who asked Rom this question? It was. It was Oliver. <laughs> Oliver said, Rom, I'm with Opera Box Score. Yeah. I have a few questions. Rom was like, I'm, I'm so conflicted because I've always liked Rom Emanuel, but I know that like the teachers' unions and all these, there's other people who really don't care for him. And I do wonder if he just became part of the Democratic machine and he didn't really you know, bring the change that he was supposed to, Hopi Changey. Uh, but he's cute. He's always been uh, a, a MILF. Um, <laughs> to me, for <laughs> um, those, but uh, yeah. So Oliver I, Camacho, I know that he was at the uh, Swing Pool Opera, the Chicago Opera Theater Swimming Pool, the Ricky and Gordon Orpheus. So I know that he's been to okay. the opera before. So, okay. so he doesn't remember. Yeah. He's got a lot in his mind. So give him a break, you know. Yeah, he's got. Okay, and here's my people thing. are dying in the streets of Chicago. So. Okay, this is what we talk about though with trying to make it accessible. So many people, like if I tell somebody I'm an opera singer, they're like, "Oh, that's so cool." And I'm like, have you ever seen an opera? And they're like, yeah. But I, I honestly, and I've thought about this a lot, I never try to put someone on the spot and say, well, yeah. what was it? Don't bust tennis balls, people. Exactly. You know? Like, Rahm Emanuel's not an opera aficionado. Like, yeah. But it's cool I, that look, he's no, there. No. I'm not saying he has to go more often. I'm just saying he has to pay more attention. Like, really? You don't know the opera that you saw? They're not all the same. Especially I mean, for the shows that Lyric is programming, like you can tell. I'm sure difference. he was on his uh, BlackBerry the whole time, anyway. Well, he should get a different device first of all. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> a Samsung notebook. <laughs> yeah, get the get, Galaxy Seven. Get yeah. the Seven. Actually, no, don't. But please don't, don't set the place on fire. Yeah, please don't bring it into the opera house. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. It's, I'm I not going to make this a Chicago George, thing. George, I feel but. you on that. I'm just saying that I think like the regular person in the world who goes to an opera and maybe goes once a year, once every three years. It's possible that they might not remember what they saw and still have loved it. He goes to the ballet quite a bit. He goes to the Joffrey Ballet. Oh, I think the Joffrey invited him to be in oh, he the used to dance. So he what? He really? What? He was yeah. He studied as a dancer. <gasps> that explains his beautiful figure serious, and why yeah. you think he's a milf. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I can't wait till we find out we're not supposed to say milf. That's really surprising. <laughs> um, hey, you know we've got a couple of minutes before we got to wrap up the show. We're done with a two minute drill. Uh, please. Find us on Twitter. I am really trying to be more and more oh. active on our Twitter accounts. You know, like Twitter is dying. <laughs> to, I, oh, I, it's I, totally not. You know who okay. told me Twitter is dying? My dad, of okay. all people. <laughs> uh, but we do, ha- we do have. We didn't new- talk about the love potion. You went with your dad. Oh yeah, I, we just never really got to it. I just didn't. Think you didn't it was go. Very good. No, no. Oh. On the show, we didn't get to it. Okay. We could do, let's do a couple minutes on there. I'll, I'll throw in the hashtag in the in the extra. Uh, Le vin obey by Frank Martin. Um, I mean, the love potion. The love potion. The you love know, potion. Chicago Oliver, Opera Theater. Yeah. I agreed with you 100% all the way down the board. It's not going to make for a very interesting talk because I thought you hit the nail on the head. It was done at the Music Box Theater. And P.S., okay, if you're going to do a show in a movie theater, you better use the screen for projections. So thank God that they did that. Also, my hat off to Andreas Minasek. I've been riding that guy for months saying, you need to do something in your designs which is not all red, white, and black and lo and behold the design was not red white and black it was not terribly interesting like flesh tone and gray 
this time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. I, I just don't understand why you would program that piece. There is no musical variety in the whole thing. It's very episodic. The transitions between these little episodes were very dull and very dry. I don't know why you would think, we really want to do the story of Tristan and Isolde, but we can't do the Wagner piece because of the orchestral size, but we're going to do this story anyway. Why would you not just pick another myth? (laughs) Yeah, I would have just gone with a different show altogether. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But I'm I'm glad that they figured out how to use that space. I'd like to see them work on that a little bit more. But I did like the acoustic there, so. Yeah, it was impossible to see. Oh, I was I had good seats. It, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was like the third row from the front. I'm saying the lighting. Oh yeah, lighting was pretty. Like rough. there was yeah. no house lights for a start. And I, you're I also like four feet tall too. You have to remember. So I, that's very true. Yeah. But I was sitting on a cushion. Seven feet tall in my heart, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Levant Urbe. I mean, the run is over now. Uh, that said, the next show that's coming up at Cot, uh, which is the Fairy Queen, one of my favorite things of all time. That I really am jazzed about. Okay. I think it's going to be great. You mean baroque about? I'm I'm so I'm so oh god. <laughs> For those who can't see, I'm just staring at Oliver <laughs> with disapproval. That was <laughs> I have no more words. All right, boys, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. All right, well, who's gonna go first here? I'll go first. Tobias Wright. Nice. Um, I am going on vacation soon. And that's my good call. I'm going to have lots of field reporting for you from fields. <laughs> you realize that Jamaica is very dangerous this time of year. Oh, but that's not where, that where you're going. going? No, okay. I'm going to the middle of nowhere. Oh. I'm driving west and just I'll let you know when I come back. All right, then. It's, I'm, I know that I'm going to spend a few days at Devil's Tower. All right. Oh, from Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Mm-hmm. Yes. It was huh. a movie set that so they put when, in Wyoming. When do you leave? Uh, next Tuesday. Okay, so you'll be on the show next Monday. Cause Maybe. I, I, I won't be. Oh, okay. So we're planning and the, and our schedule. Oh. And the reason why I'm not going to be here is because next Monday... What are you doing, Oliver? Next Monday is my good call. Uh, Piotr, de, Piotr Bechawa yes. and uh, Eric Owens and um, Lengwe Mkwanazi are singing the Beyond the Aria concert. And I get to go. And I think there's like three seats left. And if you want to hear Piotr Bechawa up close, he's gorgeous. His sing- he sings like a god. And we'll be able to see him up close a lot upcoming at the Lyric Opera. On Saturday, yes. Yeah. So this, this Saturday is the opening of Lucia de Lamour with Albina Shagimuratova. <laughs> Shagimuratova. Um, and Piotr Bechawa. Uh, I love Piotr Bechawa. I think he's one of the best tenors on stage right now, so I can't wait and to for those And uh, for those who are kind of vaguely familiar with opera, you may have seen him. If you don't know the name, you may have seen him in the Mets' uh, new production of Rigoletto that they did, the Las yeah, Vegas the production. Yeah, the Las Vegas one, yep. yeah. Hmm. George, good call, bad call. Uh, I guess I have a bad call. It goes back to Rom. I'm going to hound this guy a little bit more. Oh. Chicago Teachers Union is probably going to go on strike tomorrow, so I don't know what I'm going to do with my kids. Oh, I, no. I guess I'll... Take him to rehearsal or something. What are you rehearsing right now? Nothing. That's the problem. Oh, okay. That's and don't all. forget, folks, you still have a little bit of time left to get your 40% off tickets to Joyce Donato in uh, War and Peace uh, concert, which is in December, by using the code OPERA40, OPERA40, at the Harris Theater website. Joyce Regi- Donato. Register to vote. Yes. 
Don't you, you can't start hounding that soon enough. You can d- vote early in Illinois already. Yeah, register to vote. Vote. You that. should vote. If you're listening to this, go vote. If you're just passing by on the radio in your car, you should get ready to go vote. <laughs> <laughs> even if you don't even like opera, go vote. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Go vote. Wait. Wait for them to open up. <laughs> Let's go. That's all we got for tonight's show. Our in-show announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. For WNUR, our programming director is Nick Anderson and the general manager is Brax Ducey. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Search for Opera, Box, Score, like our Facebook page, share our posts, and of course, troll us. You can use our brand new hashtag, Opera Balls. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave a review and let us know what you want to hear more of on the show. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera, even if it takes six hours and two dinner breaks. We're back next Monday night at 9 Central when we go inside the huddle and interview tenor Jay Hunter Morris, a good old boy from Paris, Texas. He's a badass tenor. Don't miss our exclusive interview. And he sings Wagner. Am I right? Yeah. Street Beat is up next with DJ Joe. You're listening to WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment.